Welcome to the PPC Show brought to you by AdStage. I'm your host, Paul Wicker, and this is an interview in our wonderfully named interview series called Between Two Marketers. This week, I talked to Keith Steckler, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Do you normally work from home a lot? No, but this is the banter we're going to use on the show, which is fine because we're not, we're, we're not going to do, <laughs> do an intro. We'll just dive right in. Um, <laughs> because we have to banter about work from home. And then uh, I could always record an intro at the end and throw it on the front, which I often do. However you want to do it. I'm, I'm totally used to absolutely just jumping in and talking and then like, all right, we'll hit record now. So whatever you want to do. Well, you are a, um, a podcast wizard. I think you've done like 50 podcasts or do you keep track? Is it an OKR, a personal goal for you? Why do you do so many podcasts? No, there's no goal. I just, you know, it depends on... Now I'm doing it because I have a lot of time and I would like to do more of them. Before it was just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to merchandise me as a brand. I wanted to talk more about the work. Like it, there's always certain reasons for it, but I don't have an overall, I'm not, there's not a goal of like, let me do a hundred, but yeah, I do keep track. I put them all on my website. I'm proud of every one of them and you know, it's all, it's all fun. Nice. Yes, I did check out your website. We're excited to be up there. I saw at some yeah. point. Um, and I should mention at least your name because we, we are talking to Keith Steckler. He's the VP group director at MKTG, which is a brilliant acronym because uh, everybody I know abbreviates marketing that way. So whoever did that was, was brilliant. It's like you agency people have this strategy about branding. Fortuitous, right? Nice. Um, and you've been in the agency business for a very long time. Um, you were at a, a bunch of the kind of who's who in agencies. I have the list if people want to know. Um, I'm sure people want to know. Yeah, yeah. I um, spent a lot of time in New York. I, I think I came up in the industry at a time where it was perceived that New York, LA, Miami um, were the markets. But now, as, as we know, really any market can produce great work. But yes, I funneled through New York City. And um, kind of the Mad Men scene of uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. The uh, late two thousands. It, it it was uh, at a time, um, but but no, um, it 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 stopped rather quickly once digital picked up, and then budgets went there. But yeah, I mean, I I sort of caught the wave at the end of TV, big TV productions, and I didn't get to uh, experience most of them, but I I did catch it towards the end. Um, and let's see, we have Carmichael Lynch on here, Publicis, uh, Klein Davis Mann, uh, and MKTG. Is MKTG part of a bigger agency? It is. It's a, it's a Dentsu agency. So I've worked at every, every holding company except WPP, which I did not set out to do. That's not a goal of any, of any kind. Some people want to visit all seven continents. You want to work for all five. I think it's five. The big five holding yeah, agencies? The big five. The big right. five. Yes. Personal yeah. goal. In our business, when we say big five, we mean holding companies for agencies, as opposed to I have a friend who means accounting groups and like consulting accounting firms. So yeah, definitely um, not here. So so you used to be in New York. Are you where are you now? I'm in uh, Connecticut. I'm about an hour east of New York, but our home office is in New York. So I'm there as often as I can um, once a week, hopefully. And once we get back to it, I will hopefully get back to once a week. So now that you've been doing work from home for probably a few weeks, uh, like we all have, um, yeah. What have you learned anything brilliant you, or anything you can share? I'm struggling. I, I was not a work from home guy, so I'm 
if, if you could tell from my video, I like I'm a shadow because the lighting is terrible. It's great. I got to hang a light or something. So, you know, when you talk yeah. to me, I'm just this like kind of poof of hair moving back and forth. Yeah. It's nice. I, I was kind of hoping you had some tips. I, I don't. I'm I'm working through it. But the more people I talk to, I have been expressing that I really miss the commute. Um, I'm not listening to a lot of podcasts like I used to. I'm not consuming media like I used to when I was in the car. And, and I didn't have a, a big or long commute, but I certainly miss it. And I said that I was going to start this week and I'm failing miserably and it's already Wednesday, but the, the, the idea was I would stop working when I normally would, let's say five o'clock, and I would go take the dog for a walk or go walk or do something and play a podcast as if I was sort of doing my commute routine. Right. And maybe that will give me some more, uh, you know, semblance of normalcy. I haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm hopeful. Maybe tomorrow. Right. I, I think a lot of people probably had a similar goal to wake up at the same time as if they were commuting. I certainly did. I had like an hour and a half commute, but I was on a bus or a, a ferry. I commute from Marin, which is the county north of San Francisco, down to San Francisco. Right. And um, same as you, it was actually a really nice commute. I wasn't driving, so I could just like zone out and listen to podcasts and, and read. Um, don't have that anymore. I was like, well, I'll still wake up early and now I'll go for yeah, a run and go drink some coffee outside, listen to a podcast. Now what I do is sleep more. <laughs> yeah. I think if awarded the time, you'll do it. I, I don't have any other option. I've, I have two small children. I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old and I'm up as if I was going to work anyway. And the commute upstairs is quite short these days. Um, so that's great. But uh, no, I'm still waking up same time. I'm not really, it hasn't been a, a drastic shift to my uh, morning routine. It's more during the day and trying to take breaks and getting easily sucked into things. And now everything's like, I won't email you, let's just do a video chat. And I guess in principle, that's okay, but not every email needs to be a video chat. So right. I think we're... <laughs> we're we're on we're riding the video chat high right now and it'll come down and then right. it'll be it'll be back to normal. All your meetings are just you saying yes on That's the right. video chat. That's all. That's all I am. On yes. mute nodding like I was in, in an actual room, <laughs> of course. Yes. Um and then the I asked you in the notes that I sent you before, um, because I saw somewhere in your profile you were like a connoisseur of gin and, and cold brew coffee. Um, yes. So I was curious on both, you know, if I was new to gin and coffee, what would your recommendation for me be? Yeah, that's a good one. Gin to me is really based on the drink and based on the occasion. I like, um, I don't know how widely available it, the, these are. There's, this actually might be national. There's Bar Hill out of Vermont and they actually use, um, they have honeybees on the property. So there's honey in it and it's really great in the summertime. And, I have a uh, another gin that's like um, infused and has a lot of lemon in it. So that in a Negroni, for instance, is an awesome drink. But it just depends on on the occasion. Um, I'm finding that I'm still in winter uh, brown liquids, so I'm still doing you know a lot of bourbon and whiskey. Right. But I'll transition over to gin soon once it warms up here. Um, and then yeah, coffee. I just find. And I'm not crazy about it. I just find that I can't drink hot coffee out. Everything is so scalding and way too hot. And mm -hmm. so I've always been 
you know, iced coffee year round, no matter how cold it is. Um, but I do make, make coffee at home and make cold brew at home. And typically I'll have that. It's rare that I'll have another coffee throughout the day. Um, but it's just more to say, I can't drink hot coffee out. It's always way too hot for me. We are opposites. So it's funny. I, I can't drink, I can drink cold brew. It's delicious or even iced coffee. I just drink it in like five seconds. I drink it like, yeah, that was great. Where a hot coffee I sip on for literally the entire morning. Usually I don't finish until like noon. Um, and even on a hot day, like people will be like, it's 95 and humid out. And I'll just get a hot coffee because my brain is like, that is coffee. So we're out where our coffee uh, foils of each other. <laughs> do, you, do you have one of those cups that keeps it hot for like the whole day? No, I don't even care if it gets lukewarm. My girlfriend, wow. it drives her crazy because she likes hot coffee and she warms up her mug and then yeah. and she'll pick mine up and be like, this is ice cold. I'm like, I, don't, I just like to sip on coffee for hours. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We all have our things. Right. And then on gin, I do, I, I would turn the camera, but it's on my giant uh, Mac. I have like an, a desktop Mac, which no one has, but I still have one. Um, <laughs> I have, we have a bar and the goal has been to drink our way through the bar. Cause you know, you can like accumulate things on your bar over the years and you have like, mm-hmm. I don't know, what do we have on there? Um, Frangelico. Like how often do you drink Frangelico? But we have that, we have Campari. So you're Negroni uh, Very good. suggestion Very good. will come in handy. Um, but I find myself, we like drink some stuff and then get another bottle of bourbon. And then that kind of goes down with, you know, all yeah. the weird stuff. And then, so we bought a few bottles of bourbon, but I'd say we're like 50% of the way through the bar. Our goal is to literally drink everything until it's empty. Well, then you can't, you can't have any occasions or you can't have anyone over unless, unless it's just me. I find that when I do that, people just bring me gin bottles. So right. if it's, if it's you, uh, if it's you two, maybe you could do it, but well, hopefully you have nothing that, that pr- produces gifts. They only right. have more. It doesn't sound like we're going to have any, anybody over here for a while. There you so go. In our bunker, we're going to be drinking uh, just shots of Frangelico soon, I guess. I um, love it. So you've managed some of the largest brands I've ever heard of. So you managed, well, I don't know if you managed it, but you were involved in. Worked brand, on. Yes. Worked on. Yes. You personally ran the account for Nike, IBM, Hyatt. <laughs> 100%. Just you. Sold it, supported it, managed it. Uh, That's right. P&G, Subaru, Sunoco, I mean, all, all these brands most people are familiar with. So I do want to talk to you a bit about kind of uh, big agency life. Most of the folks who listen to this or who I know from kind of my paid marketing circles are usually at smaller agencies, independent agencies, or might even be freelancers that do paid search uh, or paid social or mostly those two. Some do, you know, SEO, website dev, but it's mostly paid search and social is the crowd for this podcast, if you can't tell by the name PPC show. <laughs> yes, that gave it away. Uh, yeah, well, and you have to kind of know what it is, otherwise like friends and family are like, what the heck is the PPC show? Um, <laughs> regardless, so if, I wanna get in your head a little bit about kind of at bigger agencies. And my first question is, you know, your title, um, which is a lot of acronyms, it's VPGD at MKTG, uh, uh-huh. vice president we know, group director. So. Uh, explain me the difference between like a director and, and VP at a, at a big company. Big yeah. Agency. Yeah. And it's, it's different at, at a lot of agencies to your point. So at this agency, um, group director is basically you're overseeing a group. Um, there could be other VPs in that group and in my group there, that is the case. Um, but there should be one overall lead and, and that's me. So that's, that's the group director designation. 
And what, what would be in a group? So in our group, um, we're comprised of, we have creatives, we have strategists, we have content creators, we have video people, editors, shooters, um, motion graphics, After Effects, all that. In maybe a more traditional group, um, where if we took like the account management side, you, you might be like a group account director. You might oversee the account team who manages or runs P&G business. Um, then there would, there would probably be a group creative director and they're overseeing all the creatives. So it just depends on, on the group. In my case, we are really like a small agency within ourselves, which, which I'm, I'm super proud of um, and has been a little bit different. So our articulation is a little bit different than I think other agencies might, might say. And um, as the kind of group director, like, so you have a lot of strategy in your background. I think your last three jobs were strategy. Um, yep. So is that still what you're doing most of the time or is most of your time spent actually managing the group and is there someone else doing strategy as well in, in the group? Yeah, we have, we have dedicated strategists. I, I still spend time on that. Um, most of my time is spent on building and running a team, um, personnel, operations, things like that. So it just depends on the opportunity. If we get like a new brief or a new opportunity or a new uh, RFP, um, I may spend a little bit of time on that. It just depends on what's going on. But um, it, it's the same with, with creatives too. And, I, and I've, always, I've always said this, I think as you grow in your career, you, you take on more management and operations and not every creative is, is great at that, not, nor do they maybe want to. Um, but that's just, that's the path. And you find that you're doing less of the work that got you there, the, the more you, you ascend through the ranks. And that's, uh, you know, I'm in a technology company and that holds mm -hmm. true for those as well. And I feel like in, even in my career, it's been, I've kind of gone back and forth where you go from ICE individual contributor or IC, where you're like a hundred percent, I make this thing, uh, and then if you're good at it, you get promoted into like, oh, help, you know, run a team of like two or three people. And then you're going to do like, with two or three people, you could still spend maybe 20 to 40% of your time doing the thing and the rest of your time hiring and coaching and reviewing, um, doing all the things you need to do to keep the team engaged. And if you're good at that, guess what? Okay, now run three or four teams. <laughs> and then suddenly, right. you know, your time goes like 80% to running the teams and then 20%. Usually the strategy then becomes more business strategy about like, how do we handle the business? Um, and what I've seen in my own career is I kind of go down one path and I say, I want to get my hands dirty again. I spend like a year doing the thing again at a new job. And then every job I, that lasts like six months to a year. And then suddenly there I am again, <laughs> managing yep. a team. Yep. So now I give up. Uh, <laughs> if I, I think side projects, if I want to do a thing, it's a side project. Yeah. The passion projects are, are cool. And, and I certainly think there's, a need for that, um, if nothing more to just step away from the day to day and get back into something that is um, exciting you in a way that that did years ago and may not, you know, currently. You hope that all the work does that, but sometimes you find your greatest thinking or exploration doing those those side projects. So I hear you. And the I like the little wins. Like a lot of times, you know, if you're running a big team, there's or you know some of these brands. I'm sure your projects are like months long, maybe even year long engagement. So sometimes it's hard to find the small wins. You have to in, in any job, otherwise it's tough to stay motivated, but. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's, so what we do now is primarily social. We do some web and we do some development, some app stuff, but it's not as much um, 
as other as other agencies would. So existing in social pretty much exclusively, we put out something every day, which I really appreciate. I think as you you work a lot in strategy, you have these concepts, you have these things that you might want to do, and they they may or may not come to fruition, or to your point, they may take months, if not a year, to happen. So you just feel like I like where's this headed? Um, and you keep refining it or you change it. But now I'm really happy because I think um, I'm enjoying putting something out every day and seeing work go out again, which has right. been really fulfilling for me. Uh, and and talk a little bit too about the strategist role that you did use to occupy. Now there's some folks on your team. That's a uh, kind of a vague concept. I think at smaller agencies. So what does the strategist do? What's their like responsibility? Yeah, and you're 100% right on vague concept because that's how I came up. I started in account management. I knew nothing about strategy or planning until I was at Carmichael Lynch, an agency that had it. And I didn't go to ad school. I went to business school and thought I'd figure it out and landed in marketing and started at an ad agency my first job out of college. So I didn't know until I got to Carmichael Lynch. But what I really gravitated towards in strategy and planning is is this is the entity that really wants to understand the why, the rationale, who the audience is, what's going to be a good fit, and really connects the dots between the opportunity that maybe the account person is, is bringing in and the creative that may execute what it is. You're helping to define what that is with the creatives. Um, you're looking for an insight or an opportunity or a problem or a challenge, and you're trying to help the team solve that. So. I really enjoyed moving into that and I started in, I guess, brand planning and then as digital was sort of picking up, which was really at that time, Facebook, that was like social and digital at the time and it was very much the gold rush in the wild west and people were just making stuff up right. and then it moved into social and I bought, I bought the first iPad when it came out. I probably paid, paid it off over months at a time, but I saw that device as really the, the key change to what was coming. And, it, and when you had that iPad and everyone else in the meeting was, was taking notes on a notebook and you came in and you were taking notes on an iPad, people were like floored at that point. And I just taught myself and I spent a lot of time with it and I tried to figure it out. But there's a lot of articulations of, of strategy now, um, content strategy, social strategy, brand, digital, there's so many. Um, so it really depends on what you're you're focused in or maybe what you have experience with but I didn't I didn't really set out to go through all of these it was just like the natural flow of how the work was was coming and, and the agency was and the the industry was was transitioning that I just kept picking stuff up and running with it and I, I picture these like high-pressure pitch scenarios where you know if you have clients like nike or hyatt you know with probably really large really smart marketing teams and yeah. you're the strategy guy do you, do you need to go in and kind of have the poster board whatever the modern version of this like the, the nice powerpoint presentation or the like the video reel um do you have any good kind of war stories about those things going really well or horribly wrong or is that all just tv stuff <laughs> it is it is a lot of tv stuff i mean you would hope that and there's all this there's all this talk about, do you bring one idea and do you run the risk of, of upsetting the client who's like, okay, this is it? Or, and, and the agency's rationale to that is like, we're not going to bring you three things to choose. This is the one thing we, we believe you should do. 
Um, and that really just differs based on teams and agencies and, and the way that you want to approach those meetings. But you would hope that you would um, soft sell or precede some of these things before you get in the room or however you're meeting so that it isn't this big reveal. The big reveals for the most part are movies and television. And there's still a lot of that too, but you want to make sure, I think at least that you're bringing the client through the process in some way and they're not fully surprised when you uh, you turn the poster board over or whatever you will. I think right. that was, I mean, a lot of those stories you read about, that was Steve Jobs and Apple and um, TBWA, I think it was back then. So that's how uh, I think a lot of this has been has been told as far right. as Steve's uh, reaction to the ad agency coming in and things like that. Right. And it's funny because on the tech side of the world or on the tech side of the story, it's the same thing where jobs created this like cult of personality around him as like the decision maker. And you needed to like have this beautifully designed, well thought out, amazing product. And he would just like destroy you if you didn't has become like this story, but like no one runs their product organization like that. Like no one, no one wants to work at that company where you're like going to walk in and just get berated by someone in front of everybody else. It's like, yeah. I think it was a moment in time uh, that, you know, worked for Apple. Certainly you can argue whether it worked for jobs. I don't know if you ever read the Walter Isaacson biography of him. No, I did not. No, it's a great read. I recommend it to anybody listening. Um, but it's a much more kind of honest look at jobs life, the highs and lows. And there were some things about his, his career and his life, which did not go well at all. And after reading it, I don't know if I would, I know I would not want that career arc. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. He still is like the product legend and people still picture this, like, you got to go in and wow them. And to your point, if you're not like collaboratively building the product roadmap with all the stakeholders and you try to just show up with like the next great idea, most people are going to just like subconsciously be like, what is this thing? Like, you really want me to do this thing? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a hard sell for sure. Um, so of, of all your, not of all your clients, but if you had to pick maybe one of the clients to talk about a good execution you, you did, uh, is there anybody we can talk about publicly? Yes, I think uh, what what gets me out of that is if I talk about older clients because um, I'm no longer there, so that helps. There you go. Um, yes, when I was at uh, Publicis or Publicis, however you may want to pronounce it. Wait, hold on. Um, There's not. It's not Publicis officially. <laughs> I was always taught that was it. It is, but you know, okay. I, I couldn't. I couldn't say it with the accent, with the French accent. <laughs> right. I was going to say that the French would when they like smack you, like you cannot say our name like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's great. I can't do the accent. So I, I appreciate that you did. I don't know um, if I did, but I tried. <laughs> it, it was better than what I could have done. <laughs> I, I worked on a, a number of Procter & Gamble brands. Um, many of them were in what's called the digestive category. So uh, they had Metamucil, Align, Pepto-Bismol. So this was like in 2010, 2011. And everybody at that time had heard like the, the Pepto jingle of all the... Um, you know, symptoms and, and what it treats. Right. And it's they were running having, in my head right now. There I you can go. hear it. Yep. And it's, Look it I'm up not on YouTube. Why they put you on uh, the uh, digestive category. I don't know. Did you have a reputation for eating a lot of hot wings or? <laughs> no, uh, quite the contrary. I don't know. It was, it was the opportunity that, that existed. I think as I shifted over, I think I was working on Citibank first and then I moved over, but I, I don't know. There's no real, no real rationale, but, um, Sales were declining and we were trying to figure out like, okay, where, where do you go with this? And there was a lot of competitors at that point. And um, 
from a strategic standpoint, we moved it into like occasions. So what are the moments that you would need this product? And then we focus there. So instead of going all in on symptoms, we went all in on Cinco de Mayo. We went all in, matter of fact, on the day after Cinco de Mayo. So, you know, the sixth was a big deal for Pepto-Bismol. We sponsored the Nathan's hot dog eating contest for, I think, two years. So like all the, all the things that you think um, holiday parties, the fact right. that, you know, everyone brings whatever they bring and you don't really know what it is, but you try everything. So um, <laughs> that was a fun, fun, uh, you know, I guess it was well over a year I spent on that. But the, the entire team account, uh, creative, like everybody was fantastic and totally bought into it. And it was one of those moment in time, you know, pieces that I go back and think about. But um, won a bunch of awards that of course I'm very proud of, but, um, that was a, that was a fun one. Uh, that's actually a good segue for me to point out. You have won a million awards. I mean, there's like 30 or 40 of them on your LinkedIn profile and more, my, more than two. <laughs> my favorite one was like uh 40 under 40 as voted as uh, upon by my mother. That's <laughs> right. Um, I'm, I'm in my mom's 40 under 40. That's, that's right. <laughs> there's that's 39 more people in it. That's troubling. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm the only one, but yeah, you're right. The way I, the way you look at it now, I may have to go back and, and finesse that copy. Uh, big family, big family. That's right. Um, so that's, well, that sounds like a very fun campaign to work on. Um, you know, in, in product, it's, it's obviously I'm a product guy. So I relate a lot of things you're saying back to product. Um, and it must be tough to get something like an old, older brand like Pepto that is probably, you know, consistently selling, but maybe slow decline. It's kind of old fashioned. It's, I don't know what the product management, I always think of it in terms of product management, like what happens if you're the product manager for Pepto? You're like, you got packaging, I don't know, maybe some new flavors. Um, but yeah, these like uh, CPG companies do that. And that's, I always, when I have like new product managers that are like, you know, they always want to work on some new fancy thing with machine learning, cutting edge, you know, computing at the edge. And it's like, imagine you're the brand manager for Pepto, right? You're, what are you going to do to get sales up? Think about your product like that. Don't just like, you don't need to think some new crazy thing. It's like, you have this product that's good. How do you make it better? Yeah. Um, how, how do you, how do you get more people to use it? Because it was kind of like the handful of times in a year that you would need it it would be the back in the back of your medicine cabinet hopefully not expired and this right. was like it's sort of the same strategy little little similar little different than what pedialyte's doing right now um pedialyte is the hangover drink right now uh, find it in the baby aisle and it's got like you know the guy curled up on the floor as he pulls it out of the fridge um that's basically it how do you get more people and different people to use it or use it more often Right. Um, and then I saw on your website also this like IBM kind of fancy, what is it called? The intelligent infrastructure.com. Something very fancy you did with, I think, IPM. Um, yes. What, can you talk more about what that is? I can. Yeah. So that, that's a current client, current project. Um, working in sports is really where we focus now. So we deal with brands and sports properties. So IBM has a relationship and a sponsorship in F1 with the Red Bull team specifically. And we're trying to figure out, you know, how do you best tell that story? Because ultimately, IBM wants to use this as a case study to say, we can do this in F1, we can do this for your company, your brand, your whatever it might be. 
problem is um, it's highly scientific. There's a lot of secrecy in F1, which I'm learning. Um, it's been a new, new sport for me. I haven't brought in institutional knowledge with it, but they're very secretive team across the teams and how they're manipulating and, and changing the cars week to week, race to race, what they're doing. Um, and so we were trying to figure out how do you tell that story without it being really vague and really boring? So the intelligent infrastructure is a website that scrolls left to right and goes through a fictitious, if you will, um, race week. So what's practice look like? What's qualifying look like? How, how is the team getting data and insights from what IBM tools and technology um, are being utilized to help them help give them an advantage or help give them, you know, an understanding of processing the data. So we point to that as a, as a case study that IBM can, can use as it, as it looks to some potential new clients or new customers. Nice. Um, now that you're a form, formula one, yeah. Fan. Yes. Who's your favorite driver? I have to say the Red Bull guys. I love, I don't know if, have you seen the, um, can you name the, the, the net? Yes. Uh, Max Verstappen. Have you seen the, um, the formula one docs on Netflix? It's like two, two seasons now, but they profile all the teams and they went through the 2018 season and then the 2019 season. It's, it's pretty good. Um, even if you're not really into the sport, it's, they profile basically one team each episode um, and take you through the season of the story, the storylines of the season. Um, it's been a cool, it's been a cool watch. Nice. This whole podcast was actually just an IBM deep uh, trick to try to figure out if you knew the, the Red Bull racing team. So there it is. Yes. Thank they've God changed some that. drivers. So I, I keep track of the main one and they've changed out the second one, but I think Alex is here to stay now. Nice. Um, all right. So let's uh, ask a question about agency folks who maybe they work in independence or they're working in a tiny little agency, but they want it to get a job at a big agency. Uh, do you have any advice for folks like that? Yeah, I think um, with social, what's really nice about it is you can track people down that work on campaigns or brands or work in agencies that you might want to work in. So Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, how can I connect with you? Can I talk to you? Can I share something with you? Um, and what I've found really interesting in our space in um, sports design and content is I'm seeing people post um, graphics on to Twitter and ask people for critique. And you'll see in the comments, people are, I, oh, you change this, you might do that. So as long as you humble yourself and you're open to that, I think you have to put yourself out there. You have to put your work out there. If it's on Twitter, great. If it's on Instagram, great. Um, websites can be done now with, you know, Squarespace and things where you don't have to know coding. You could spend a couple bucks a month and put it out there. But if you don't want to do that, it could be a portfolio that exists on Instagram, but you have to get your stuff out there. And there is right now, to the extent that you want to reveal that we're recording during coronavirus, Right now, there is an ad um, from Guinness that is making the rounds, and it's a freelance copywriter who put it together. I think people were trying to figure out what agency is behind this. It's somebody. Um, and it's been great because the work was really smart, and his name and profile and all that's getting out there. That's absolutely what I think you should be doing. Is put yourself out there, respond to people, engage with people, answer questions to the extent that you can, but more so ask questions of people that you want to connect with and stay top of mind with them. And I think as 
teams open up or, you know, hirings open up, they'll, they'll think of you because you've been top of mind. Yeah, we are, we are approved to talk about corona, <laughs> coronavirus. Good. I should have asked that before we started. Politics, you can talk about whatever you want. Um, so I didn't know that you do a ton of sports marketing. I guess I should have figured it out because I saw a lot of podcasts where you're talking about sports. Um, so I knew you like sports, but it makes it now I'm putting the puzzle pieces together. So how are they handling? I mean, right now you can't go to sporting events. The NBA shut down. Uh, every sporting event has been canceled or postponed. I mean, are they just freaking out when you talk to them now? Yeah, it's, um, I think overall, not just our clients, but the space, I think we're, we're seeing more moves into content and esports. Um, we do a lot of work in NASCAR, and last week they ran a race with drivers uh, essentially gaming. So, you know, driving their own car in a game, and that oh. is going to continue. Um, and what's cool about that is that could be the actual driver. In this case, it was, but it could be guys from their pit crew or friends of theirs and um, what's really interesting is, is you had Dale Earnhardt come back who retired from the actual sport, but did engage in the gaming version of it. So this could be a whole new thing. And I think it should stay even after real racing comes back because if they can keep the attention of everybody, but right now everyone's so starved for some type of sport that they're like, that's great. Let's, let's go with that. The, uh, the Phoenix Suns in the NBA are going to play out the rest of their schedule, um, in NBA 2K, I think. So we'll see how, you know, how long this can last. I'm not sure people are, are going to want to be around uh, the, and watch the longevity of, of that. Maybe right. they should have done a couple games or some highlight games, whatever it might be. Um, but it's, it could be interesting. It could be the actual players playing. It could be uh, celebrities or talent playing. Like there's a lot, of, a lot of possibilities. So I think we're seeing a move to virtual or gaming or the online space, of course, that um, I hope in some, in some cases does stick around once we're able to get back and, and play, you know, actual games again. Right. Yeah. I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So these unusual times call for unusual experiments. Although we talk a fair amount about Twitch on this podcast, you know, Twitch owned by Amazon, live streams, uh, a lot of esports generally if you're over 25 years old and you mentioned esports, people snicker at you because um, yeah. they think no one watches people play video games until you go watch the league of legends championship, which has more people than like the super bowl. Um, and you realize in Korea has, it's like the number one sport, um, you know, then you can debate sport or game, but either way as a right. category, it's mind blowing how many billions of dollars it's already generating uh, riot games uh, Tencent owns a big chunk. I'm not sure if they own a chunk of Riot or some of the other major streaming platforms, but I am not surprised. And maybe this was a, a way that uh, traditional sports kind of lit the fire under them to evolve their game. Uh, but it does seem like everybody's trying to find some way to make their experience digital. Um, so you can have it from home on your own, or you can come together communally in some streaming atmosphere. I mean, everybody I know is like streaming something. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, and in Instagram, Instagram going live with two people at a time. There's, you know, everyone's just trying to bring physical parts of, of life into a virtual world. So, and everyone is just like the bar is so low. I'm not saying this stuff isn't great, but the bar is so low about, yeah, that's nice. I'll spend some time with that. Or some DJ wants to get on and do a set and we're calling it a virtual club. Like, all right, I get it. Right. Um, 
but yeah, people are, are, are at least right now consuming anything they can because it's some sense of normalcy again. Yeah, have you seen any virtual concerts? Uh, I did, yeah, I saw, um, I saw a rapper do a concert, I think from his studio, or maybe in home studio, who knows. What was interesting is the split screen on Instagram Live where you could bring a second party in at some point in the concert, he just picked a random fan, I think. Uh, I need to go back and look at how it originated. But right. the stream I saw, I picked it up where there was some fan at the bottom just freaking out. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Of like, it, It's certainly not a concert for this one person. Everyone else can, can join in and watch it. But what an interesting one-to-one. The act of visual was some rapper up top and some fan below. And what, where else could you see that? It was pretty cool. Yeah, it really is a whole new world of kind of digital experiences. And like like you said, we'll see how much of this sticks around once you're allowed to leave your house and, you know, go talk to another human being. Um, I want to thank you for coming on today. We also, we are uh, an example of this. We met on Twitter like a week ago when you're like, I'm doing more podcasts. Um, and I think J.D. Prater, uh, who is the co-host for the headline show we usually do, uh, was like, hey, you're doing this Between Two Marketers series. You should have them on and then. Like a week later, here we are. So I, I really want to thank you for coming on today. It's been a lot of fun. I, I appreciate it. It was a good conversation. And yeah, I, I put everything into Twitter. So seeing it pay off in, in a, you know interaction like this is why I do it. I absolutely love it. I think it's such a great platform. So I appreciate you having me on. And it was fun. And um, I'm sure I'll be talking with you soon. And I do want to ask you for the gin recommendation for the Negroni? Because I think you didn't give me a name. You just said it's lemon distilled or distilled with some let, lemon. Let me look it up and let me hope that you can get it. Uh, let's see. Is it the one from Vermont? Cool, no, it's a very cool bottle too. Oh, wait. Let me see. This is the most exciting point. of the Oh, point. here we go. Here we go. Uh, it's from Italy. I think like the, um, it's called Malfi, M-A-L-F-Y. And by the looks of this, I would think this is a national distribution. I am very excited. All right. I will, I will make an exception to my bar policy and add something to the, to the bar if I could find it. Um, yes. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, thanks everybody for listening today. If you uh, want to get more from us over at AdStage, you can head over to blog.adstage.io, sign up for our newsletter and find more podcasts from the PPC show. Thanks a lot. That was fun. I appreciate it.